0: The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State
1: House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service.
2: Here's Sam Doran.
3: Well, happy Friday, Bay Staters and MA Poly fans. Uh, this is the second week of the revisited State House Takeout coming to you. Uh, not quite live but coming to you from the State House News Service newsroom in room 458 of the Massachusetts State House with some chief takeaways from the week that has occurred and might keep going we've got a tentative schedule from the House of Representatives last night that there's a tentative formal session on Saturday so it might be a uh, a six-day week for us. Coming up later on in the podcast is a panel discussion with three of the big voices in the police reform debate that we've been seeing play out on uh, on Beacon Hill here over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we've got Katie Lennon to help us recap the week that was. Hi, Katie.
1: Hey, guys. Good to be back, um, at least virtually. And, you know, maybe uh, we'll have to get some takeout cocktails to celebrate the return of the takeout.
3: Oh, that's a fabulous idea. I saw Representative Don Wong uh, uh, pushing that idea on Facebook. He's got the uh, the Kowloon up in Saugus.
1: That's right, yeah. And I've seen there's these, like, Capri Sun-style cocktail pouches that are all the, the new trend, so I'm sure we'll figure something out.
3: Yeah, and, you know, I saw on, on somewhat good authority, actually, that there's a chance that the 21st Amendment might be reopening next week, just in time for the final week of sessions. So I don't know if they might think about uh, providing to-go cocktails.
1: <laughs> <laughs> got, to, uh, got to adapt the uh, end-of-session traditions for the, the COVID era, right?
3: Right, right. Um So, uh, Katie, uh, this week, of course, police reform has just been the huge topic, as it's been for weeks, uh, as the House is getting into its third day of debate now. Um, But other than that, we've had a lot of impactful things happening, because it is still the end of July in an even-numbered year, which means there's still a host of other things going on trying to get over the finish line
1: yeah I mean, while it feels as though several years have actually gone by since uh, since I was last in the building in uh, early March, it, um, it is still, as you say, the end of session, and we're getting that typical kind of frenzy to um, get things over the finish line, and we've got quite a lot of legislating going on.
3: yeah, the um, the news service put out earlier this week um, a uh, scorecard for nine issues to watch as we wind down in the final nine days of session. Um, and I know you, uh, you helped out with that one a little bit. Um, we all chipped in on, uh, on some of these uh, big topics like uh, uh, the transportation bond bill, health care. Um, fill us in on, uh, on a few of the things that we might reasonably see uh, get to uh, Governor Baker's desk.
1: Sure, so transportation bonds, like you mentioned is um that infrastructure bill borrowing bill is now um headed to conference committee um joining a a general governmental bond bill i t bond bill that's already there, so we've got um some of the usual kind of end of the end of July negotiations going on already, and those are really the two that are that are at that stage, hopefully um you know, police reform will theoretically be there soon once the House works through its bill. Um, the Senate has already passed theirs. And it seems like there's a chance we might get some sort of health care bill um, focused on rather than the kind of sweeping reforms that were being talked about last October, um, more so kind of baking the executive orders of the of the COVID-19 era into the system on a on a longer term basis. Um, big focus on telehealth. The House has, a, has its own bill um, that came out of its kind of COVID-19 recovery committee. That, as of our recording time Friday morning, is still in House Ways and Means, and we're, we're expecting to see that kind of pop soon, but um, the House has a handful with, with police reform. They're also working on the, uh, the governor's economic development jobs bill. Um, which the the Senate is waiting for the House on that one. Um, And that there's a lot of interest on that because it is a jobs bill and it is, you know, part of its goal is to stimulate a a battered economy. Um, And of course, as we wait for for federal stimulus legislation, we, the fiscal 2021 budget, almost a a month into the new year um, is still a big question mark. We've got another, um, another, mini budget for august that that lawmakers will need to pass but the everything about the full document the
3: full year budget is still kind of an unknown including how much money it'll spend right uh you mentioned that economic development that jobs bill um and especially in an election year uh, with the economy such as it is right now um work on a jobs bill before going back to the district for Uh, Some intense reelection campaigning uh, could could prove to be a good thing for some of these lawmakers who are uh, who are facing contested elections.
1: Definitely. And it's a it's a tight campaign season this year with the primary in early September. Um, And, you know, those are the kind of bills that and the transportation uh, infrastructure bill. Those are the kinds of things where people can get well not necessarily get money, but get bond, bond authorization, um, at least for local projects that are the things you you hear about on the campaign trail, um, that, that voters look for, um, along with, of course, you know, I think voters will be watching the, the votes on police reform and bills like that. You know, some of those amendments have had some interesting splits, not too long. Get into your next discussion, but there's a if you're in if you're an interested voter um, wondering how to how to handle your September primary ballot. There's a, a lot going on this week for
3: you. And one does wonder whether there might be more people following the legislature from their homes uh, than there would normally be without the pandemic keeping everyone at home, keeping everyone on the computer. Uh, so. One could think there might might be more eyes, kind of watching what's going on inside the chamber.
1: Yeah, it's not out of the question. Absolutely, there's, um, you know, the the formal sessions like that are always live streamed. But I think we're adapting to more of a a live stream culture, where maybe it it, it people who wouldn't otherwise know the sessions were going on. It, there's
3: definitely um,
1: more accessibility on the on the digital side. I think.
3: So the big question. That's been coming up in almost every conversation, at least up here um, over the last few weeks is are they going to go past july thirty first and it kind of seems like they have to
4: it's
1: um it's starting to seem like more and more of a real possibility at this point, um, you know no one has said at this point a week out, no one in leadership has said, yep, we're doing it. We're going past July 31st. Um, but, you know, I talked to, to Senate President Silka this week and she says they're ready to on the Senate side. You know, she, her, her preference is that the work gets done. But if these, um, you know, major issues are left unresolved, that they're, you know, they'll come back. Um, and the, the speaker's office says that uh, Speaker DeLeo is open to, to various scenarios for going past the, the deadline if necessary. And, you know, like all Beacon Hill deadlines, we talk about it like it's a, it's a big one. And it is traditionally, but there, there's nothing um, stopping them. It's not a hard stop if they don't want to. They can suspend the rule as long as both branches agree and, and keep going or, or do any number of other things.
3: Yeah, right. It, it's not in law that they have to be done by the 31st, It's just kind of their own internal deadline. Um, exactly. So, um, Katie, as we often say at the Statehouse News Service, <laughs> um, Today was weird, and tomorrow will be weird, too. Uh,
1: <laughs> That's right. I mean, hopefully not too weird. Hopefully uh, it's a, a quietish
3: Saturday. Well, hopefully. But I mean, in, in the spirit of that, Maxim, um, uh, this morning, uh, during this very busy legislative week, uh, first thing I saw when I opened my phone was uh, a lot of confusion about who's throwing out the first pitch at the Red Sox home opener tonight.
1: Yeah, right. And I think, you know, um, our our colleague Colin Young pointed out that like, yeah, you might expect some questions about the Red Sox pitching staff, but you don't expect it uh, pitching roster, but you don't expect it to start with the first pitch. Yeah, there is a a little bit of a hiccup there. The governor's schedule uh, listed him throwing the first pitch. Um, Sam Kennedy from the Red Sox um, apparently went on the radio and said that wasn't the case. And what what seems to be the case now is that it's a, a multiple pitch situation. There are several ceremonial first pitches at a big game like this one, like our much uh, long awaited opening day here in late July. And I, I think as it stands right now, and I'm, um you know, wouldn't be shocked if this changes a few more times, but that the governor is throwing one of the pitches. He's participating in the first pitch ceremony along with a, uh, as yet unidentified others.
3: <laughs> well, uh, we shall wait and see. And we'll see how the rest of the pitching staff does, besides our state's chief executive. Um, all right. Well, thanks very much uh, for joining us, Katie. And it's a pleasure to have you back on the takeout. Um, and uh, we will talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Great to talk to you.
3: Well, it's been the all-consuming topic up here on Beacon Hill really since the May 31st protests right outside our own front doors here over police brutality and the deaths of George Floyd and other people of color, reforming our law enforcement system, establishing systems to root out police misconduct, providing for better equity and protecting civil rights. We saw a 16-hour Senate session last week as they passed their version, and the House right now is in the middle of a third day as we tape this at 3 o'clock on Friday, debating police reform. A lot of nuances on this topic, a lot to dig into, and we've got three of the big voices in the conversation joining us on the takeout today. We've got Representative Carlos Gonzalez, chairman of the Black and Latino Legislative Caucus, and his caucus has been taking a lead in uh, forming the policy proposals that we've been seeing play out in the legislature since June. We've got Larry Calderoni, chairman of the Massachusetts Law Enforcement Policy Group, and Carol Rose, executive director of the ACLU of Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us, folks. Thank you. sure, and to moderate this week's panel, we are joined by Matt Murphy of the State House News Service how are you doing, Matt
2: Hi, Sam, and hi to our guests. Thanks again for uh, taking the time. I know it's a it's a busy moment, particularly for you chairman in the House, as this debate uh is still going on, but uh, we look forward to this conversation
3: All right, so Matt feel thank free you. To, uh, Feel free to lead us off in the questioning, Mr. Murphy.
2: Well, Sam, thank you. And thank you for setting up uh, what we were hoping to talk about uh, today, which is this big policing reform effort on Beacon Hill. And obviously, uh, we all know that following the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, it really created a moment, uh, not just in our state, but in our country, where. Uh, the debate over racism, systemic racism and policing uh, came to the forefront. And I wanted to start this conversation by giving each of you a chance to reflect a little about how we got to this moment uh, and why you think that now versus other times when incidents have gained uh, traction in the news and, and spread in the public consciousness, why now this has come to a head and whether or not you think that this is a now or never moment to get something like this police reform initiative done in Massachusetts. Chairman, let's start with you.
0: Uh, first of all, let me just say thank you uh, for hosting this event and uh, to my uh, colleague and friend, uh, Laurie Calderon, Lawrence Calderon. I just want to hi, acknowledge. Hi, Jim. Uh, I just want right to acknowledge that uh, I've developed a a real sense of respect and admiration for the work that he has done in leading the police patrolman's union and working with the Black skin Caucus, we have developed a working relationship uh, where he is uh, not only uh, committed to public servants, uh, that extends beyond his role as a police officer. Um, and again, I look forward to uh, working with Carol. I in um, ACOU as they have been a lead sponsor and writer and developer of some of the languages that are we're all discussing and here working on today and throughout this uh, session. Um, I think uh, when you've mentioned, is it a now or never moment? I think uh, it's a now moment. I will never say never because um, I think that's critical and important as we address the issue of uh, racial justice we can never stop to be a better country, a better state, and a better individual. And working together is the only solution to making that a reality. Uh, So on that note, uh, I look forward to the conversation, the discussions, and the questions, uh, and looking forward to trying to get some type of collaboration uh, in making sure that this bill has some impactful changes in the lives of the children that I represent, the community that I represent, the families that I represent, as well as the protesters who have chanted, cried and prayed for change. And I think this bill uh, can um, do that for many of the folks that uh, for too long have been filled with rhetoric and no real change.
2: Larry, what do you think? I mean, do you think that uh, now is a chance to get things done? Uh, The police union uh, and other law enforcement groups have supported the idea of creating a uh, officer standards and training commission to to certify and license police officers in Massachusetts. Uh, Is now the chance to get things done? Or uh, do you think, as we've heard from others, uh, that uh, maybe this is moving too fast and we should hit the pause button?
0: Well
4: well there's a lot of questions. Uh, I think it depends on which specific topic. I, I don't think that there's one opportune time that's more advantageous than another unless you're looking at it from a lens of, hey, there's an opportunity here based upon a situation that's arisen to, to push something through. Um, and, I, and I know that's what we're talking about here, but you know that what the, the tragedy that happened in Minneapolis, we all know we all realize how horrible it is. We know how acceptable it is. Um, but that's in Minneapolis. We're, we're in Massachusetts. And the men and women here across the state of Massachusetts, they have not done anything wrong. So when it when it comes to an opportune time, that's one better than another. I don't see this time is any different for the for the citizens here in Massachusetts. Um, I, I believe that. There's always a time to have open and constructive dialogue, which is what the chairman is saying has existed between the many police organizations that that I represent here in the policy group, along with uh, the Black and Latino Caucus that the chairman represented. Uh, We were able to sit down on a couple of different occasions and talk about serious concerns and reasonable common sense police reforms, things that are somewhat utilized in certain departments in the state and maybe not utilized in other departments in the Commonwealth. So um, that's kind of a long answer, but in in short, it's always a good time to make things better. Uh, I believe that we're the best police department in the country, and I'm sure you hear that from every police leader, Uh, but I'm speaking for approximately 15,000, 16,000 men and women that are working on the street day and night, showing up to 911 calls, your 911 calls for service. And I'm sure they're showing up in a professional manner. And I think that you know, I've also said before that back in 2015, President Obama classified the Boston Police Department as one of the best departments in the country. Something along the lines of look no further on how to do community policing than the city of Boston. So I think there's always an opportunity, as good as we are, to uh, have new training, have more training, make changes to the way we respond to citizens' calls for needs. Um, and what we should be doing is looking at common sense reforms and having an open conversation on both sides of the table. And I I can't commend the chairman and his group enough and the speaker and his leadership team, because that's what we've been doing now for the last several days. We've been having conversations daily about what words mean, about what changes need to be had, and maybe what things we can look at a little bit more lengthy as time goes on.
2: Carol, what about you? Is is this a get it done now or never moment in your view for the legislature, knowing as you do how things that uh, gather momentum like this has on Beacon Hill sometimes don't get the same chance a second time around?
5: Yeah, I mean, we're really at a watershed moment in history in this country. Um, And the Massachusetts legislature has an opportunity right now to truly reform Uh, Policing uh, to provide some structural reform to ensure justice for the victims of of misconduct You know right now there are there have been protests and rallies and public cries people going out on the streets Even when there's a pandemic uh, saying that they really want to have serious change Racial justice and structural reform to prevent future victims of police misconduct, you know, and Massachusetts is not immune Um, You know, there are a lot many many the vast majority of police are good police officers, but many are not, and they aren't being held accountable because victims aren't allowed to see their day in court. They're not allowed to sue the police. Um, And so that's really problematic. And I think if we don't fix that fundamental uh, injustice that exists in the current law, then we're not going to be able to actually uh, lead the nation as we want to do in good and proper uh, peace officers.
2: Well, Carol, thank you very much. You brought us right into what has been really the flashpoint issue of this debate, both in the Senate last week. And uh, I anticipate uh, a debate uh, forthcoming in the House over qualified immunity, uh, this legal principle that, uh, you know, in some instances can shield police officers and other public servants from facing civil lawsuits. Uh, We saw a lot of spirited debate in the Senate um uh, chairman gonzalez what do you think that this is going to look like when it comes to the floor in the house and is this a must-have in this bill uh, from your perspective in order to get something done
0: i think there's a difference between advocating as an advocate and governing as a legislator and i think there's um never a um uh, a lost opportunity to uh, re-bring up issues or uh, reconsider issues um, when needed, um, whether it's now or in a year or 10 years from now. Uh, I just firmly believe that as a country, we need to do um, the best we can. As legislators, we need to do the best we can. As a state, we need to do the best we can uh, at the moment. Um, we need to be uh, clear that Uh, governing takes working relationships, building, working, uh, and building on relationships. And um, when we look at uh, the issues uh, that we are debating, I think they are workable. And a part of it we can achieve uh, here and now. And some of them may need some other, um, uh, uh, more time to be able to address those issues. So again, I, I don't believe in the, now or never, I believe in the now and moving forward, um, uh, working towards that goal as legislators. Governing and advocacy are two different things, and in governing, you need people to support your causes, um, as a group and as a, uh, as, as, as a body. And what I'm seeing in Washington, D.C., is what people here don't want to see that due to the uh, differences of opinions uh, and emotions, um, there's nothing getting done. I believe people of massachusetts have spoken and it's our opportunity to move the needle and if some people think we're moving the needle one mile when our goal was to move it 10 and some people think we're only moving it one inch we're moving it and i think that's the goal
2: so would you support a bill that did not have reforms to qualified immunity i think the house bill
0: um addresses qualified immunity um and i think we're going to be very supportive of that bill And we're going to hear the other debates as they come up, and we'll uh, um, listen to both sides and address that issue at at the moment. Uh, I also think that uh, QI is an issue that has come up in the last 10, 11, 12 days um, from a legal perspective, uh, very unknown to even attorneys, uh, very unknown to communities that I represent. When I walk down to uh, my community in the city of Springfield, uh, they want to hold police officers accountable. Uh, They agree that they should not have police officers policing themselves, that there is an independent body. We give them that, that uh, we ban chokeholds. We're giving them that, uh, that there's a duty to intervene. We're giving them that, that uh, if officers are found to uh, violate their oath, that they are decertified. We're giving them that and that they will not be able to run to another uh, state, another city or another uh, municipality and get their job. And we're giving them that. So the core demands that the caucus has put forth on June 2nd, uh, for the most part, are in this bill.
2: Carol, I wanna ask you uh, about this issue of qualified immunity. We've heard uh, on, from both sides who think this is either a key central reform needed to hold police accountable for their behavior and their actions on duty, and from others, including Senator William Brownsberger, who helped write the Senate version of the QI reform, who has suggested that this would impact actually a very small number of cases and wouldn't uh, be as dramatic a change to the legal landscape for police as some have uh, put forward. Uh, Can you enlighten us at all uh, about uh, who's right?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I think what what Senator Brownsberger is saying is that uh, in general, We don't have that many cases, but the cases that we do are egregious and people should be able to actually seek redress in the courts Just like they like they do against other people if their rights are violated Um police shouldn't be above the law and good police officers should support holding bad police officers accountable You know, it's true. I think what rep gonzalez said that a lot of people uh, Don't understand or know about the legal theory of qualified immunity. I think that's very true But I do think that people do know when their rights are violated and then they aren't allowed to go to court to seek redress. So the people who know about qualified immunity are the victims who, after their rights are violated, are actually unable to, to get any redress. So th- they bear the violence, the full cost of, of the harms that they experience, things like hospital stays or physical therapy or caskets if they need to. Um, you know, But if we rebalance qualified immunity, we actually enable people to go forward and to be made whole in court. And if it's just a few people, then all the better. Uh, but there's no reason that we should deny them their, their right in court and that's why so many groups are in favor of this I mean more than a hundred civil rights and civil liberties organizations have endorsed having reformed a qualified immunity from the NAACP the Massachusetts black lawyers association the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization, Jane Doe, Boston Area Rape Crisis Center, League of Women Voters, uh, and and National Association of Social Workers, uh, JCRC, Anti-Defamation League, and several labor unions, including 1199 SEIU and SEIU Local 509. So, I mean, more than 100. So, um, and polls have shown 75 percent of rural Massachusetts voters would actually want a bill that enables them to seek redress and justice in the courts if their rights are violated um, and so i i think that across the political spectrum we're actually seeing a, an awareness that this is a, a it's a legal technicality we can easily get rid of and should get rid of it and that's also why representative presley uh, and senators marquis and, and warren have also put in a bill in the, in the congress that at the federal level we should actually they, they did a ban on qualified immunity um, so i don't actually think it's radical i think rather as larry said this is a common sense reform that we should adopt
2: larry i imagine you have some thoughts on this issue the qualified immunity has been one of the principal uh, reasons that uh groups like the mass coalition of police have been opposed to the senate and the house bills uh where are you on this issue
4: so i'm not going to go into a litany of organizations that take the opposite view of um of Ms. Rose. Uh, there's, there's tons of organizations on both sides of the aisle, some that are against it, some that try to point out um, maybe, uh, I don't want to say a, a correct interpretation or version, but this well, qualified immunity is very complicated. Uh, that's why it's been argued through the courts at various levels for the last three decades. And somehow the Senate thought that they could do it in seven days. Uh, I, I listened to Senator Brownsberger's speech. Um, I respect him. I've been working on Beacon Hill for the last half dozen years. But, um, you know, to get out there and quote a case that he did uh, that many people in the general public think is inappropriate in its nature uh, without really describing the fact that the warrant that had been seeked was signed off on by a clerk magistrate or a judge um, and when he cites a small number of cases i don't know what a small number is small number to some people might be 20 another one might be one but i would tell you that if there's one person that's a victim it's probably one too many it's just like people that get killed on the street we don't want any deaths on the street so qualified immunity i i, I will go on to say with touch on some of carol's topics or points of view uh she is correct when she says that good cops don't like this uh, don't like bad cops that is absolutely correct good police officers do not like bad police officers but qualified immunity does not protect bad police officers this is some false narrative that seems to be coming straight from dc she's correct a couple of our senator our two senators. Um, They're also running with this false narrative that somehow qualified immunity prevents police officers from being sued. That is false. Police officers are sued every day in court. Police officers are held responsible when they're found guilty of a crime. And when they're found guilty of a crime, they go to jail. Probably some would argue that they're held to a little bit higher of a standard when they're found guilty of a crime. So to say that qualified immunity is a protection for actions of officers that are guilty or bad or that commit crimes, that is not true. Qualified immunity is granted by the judge. If you commit a felony, you do not get granted qualified immunity. If you do something wrong, you can be sued in court. So I go back to my opening statement that I've had many, many times with different people, including the chairman. Qualifying immunity is extremely complicated. As many attorneys as we have in the Senate in Washington, D.C., through our court systems, they can't seem to fix it in 30 years. How can a few senators, excuse me, I probably shouldn't say a few, how could 30 senators believe that they can fix it in seven days? And that's what we're stressing to the House of Representatives, who have been very open in their dialogue and their communication. And we keep saying the same thing. We're we're not against common sense reforms. What we're saying is get a group of experts that practice in the field on a daily basis for qualified immunity. Put that panel together. Let them study it. And if they can come out with some common sense reforms that might make things better for the citizenry, then let's bring it to the table. Let's file that piece of legislation. Let's have open dialogue. Let's have public hearings. Let's let's put it all out there, because qualified immunity is not just for police officers. It's for all public employees. And that's something that I haven't heard anybody say here or very often either. It seems to be really spearheaded towards police officers.
2: This it is a
4: big all public- it, it affects all public employees, your town assessor, your town boardsmen, your selectmen and women. It affects everyone. So uh, I think they need to look long and hard. Sorry if I was going on too long. Go ahead.
2: No, that's okay. That was actually a point that Senator Pacheco made repeatedly during the Senate debate, and it's something that the House seemed to take into consideration in their version of the bill, which approaches QI reform differently. Uh, Chairman Gonzalez, the House bill uh, would directly tie uh, the issue of immunity or the granting of immunity to whether or not a police officer is decertified uh, by the new post commission. Uh, Is this the preferable route uh, in your view?
4: Well, we support the
2: post commission. Oh, I'm sorry, were you
4: talking to me? I, I apologize, Carol. Sorry, I thought it was. Too late. It's okay. It's okay, Larry. You you could keep on
0: going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Chairman. I-, I-, I thought it was still me. I do apologize. Go ahead, Chairman. It- 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 in fact, I-, I just think that uh, Larry's uh, part of Larry's comments uh, could probably get us uh, to all agree on on something that I think is critical and important as we move this uh, bill forward. Uh, He mentioned, if you do something wrong, you don't get immunity. I just want to make sure that that is uh, correct in your statement, Larry. Well,
4: what I said was if you commit a felony or a crime, you do not get qualified immunity. Yes.
0: Excellent. Okay, so great. So if if that's the case, um, that's why I support, and I strongly uh, support Larry's uh, comments. Uh, because that's why I support the House bill. Because if you are decertified and you have received a due process, then um, you don't get immunity. You should not get immunity. And that's why I support the House bill. And then I also, um, uh, again, I may be um, uh, sleeping or uh, having an office outside of this uh, House chamber because I haven't talked to, to leadership or anybody about what I'm going to mention now. But I would, I would want to, the, um, in my earlier conversations with Gavi from uh, ACLU, um Carol, if that's the case, maybe we have just come out to a solution here that if we can get QI um, when somebody is decertified uh, or they won't get immunity, as well as uh, have a study that can review with experts as larry indicated including uh folks from both sides experts and attorneys um that we could probably have a solution here and state house news could be the first to say they were part of the solution that brought this bill to the to over the edge that everybody can potentially support because uh, uh i think again to larry's point um that many uh legislators here, let alone attorneys, don't understand the full impact of of QI and how it affects all public. And to Carol's point, I think it is part of reform. Um, However, I, I don't think everybody is there yet to fully understand the complexities of eliminating QI at this moment because of how it may impact other employees and other unions. So, um, We may have a a win-win here solution, as Larry echoed his statements, and as Carol eloquently stated, uh, that uh, individuals uh, don't know about QI until their rights are violated. Um, So, again, I am going to support the House bill, and I would be willing to support a study.
2: Well, there you go. I guess forget conference committee chairman. All you need to do is come on the takeout podcast (laughs) and we can resolve all the legislative issues right here. Uh, Thank you. I want to thank all of you. Uh, We are if
5: I might. There yes. actually were some inaccuracies that I think are important to set the record straight. Yes, it's go ahead. actually not true that qualified immunity, uh, if, some, if you do something wrong, then you're not protected by qualified immunity. There are many cases here in Massachusetts. One where a police officer searched a woman's apartment and they for drugs and they didn't find it, so they took her to a hospital and forced a doctor to do it. she couldn't have redress in the courts there was another one uh where the uh, they strip searched a man in public because uh he had a bulge in his clothing and it, it turned out he didn't but he couldn't seek redress in court i have a list of cases that i'm happy to provide to members of the conference committee to actually make people understand qualified immunity means that the victim can't get redressed, their families can't be compensated for the harm they suffer or the damage they suffer. Uh, and so to wait and study it just makes no sense. I also just wanna say the problem of tying qualified immunity to decertification is that the decertification process can take a long time. Uh, number one, and that means that the statute of limitations may run out and people couldn't seek free in the courts or that the evidence is just old and not fresh anymore. Uh, or that it could also be the kind of pressure that legislators are feeling right now from the police unions will also be applied to the civilian c- group doing the certification. Um, you know, if we want to have uh, a chokeholds banned or anything like that, that's fine. But again, unless there's a way for a person to go to court and get redressed for their rights, you can ban chokeholds, but there's no enforcement mechanism. So I think it's really important to keep in mind that this isn't about understanding a complex legal theory. This is about saying people have a right to go to court and to try their case in court, just like you do if your rights are violated by some other some other person. You get to go to court. Uh, But right now, the qualified immunity doctrine uh, prevents us from being able to do that when people's rights are violated. And Massachusetts is not immune. Uh, We do have problems with policing. And the Department of Justice report that just came out in Springfield uh, is a case in point. That was an egregious list of cases. And again, blocked by qualified immunity. So this is really about giving the people who are asking for justice an opportunity to seek justice in our courts. And that's what we should do. That would be the patriotic in
2: Massachusetts thing to do. Thanks. Well, thank you. I, all. I, we are actually uh, running out of time, and I just wanted to thank you all for taking the time to join us. Uh, I know Chairman Gonzalez is in the middle of a House debate, and uh, Representative Paul Tucker started this whole debate in the House this week by saying that uh, there would be a vote in the House while the sun was still shining, uh, so we're still hopeful a few more hours left to make that uh, promise come true. So real quickly, uh, before we let you all go, if we could just go around and uh, yes or no, there are seven days left in this legislative session uh, before the two-year uh, session comes to a close at midnight. Uh, do we see a bill that Governor Baker can sign uh, by July 31st? Chairman?
0: Yes.
4: Larry? I don't know that answer. I don't know, sir. Daryl.
5: Absolutely.
2: Yes. All right. We have two optimists and one cautious and Larry, uh, Calderone. Thank you again for all joining us. And, uh, And uh, I look forward to talking to you again, maybe uh, when this is all over.
3: Yep, it is just about 345 as we're wrapping up our taping here on Friday afternoon with, as Matt mentioned earlier, uh, still some debate anticipated in the House session on QI, on qualified immunity. Uh, perhaps later today, and the House also has a tentative formal session scheduled for tomorrow as we think about uh, how much daylight is left uh, at the end of this week. I want to thank once again Carol Rose from the ACLU of Massachusetts, Larry Calderoni of the Mass Law Enforcement Policy Group, and Representative Carlos Gonzalez, chairman of the Black and Latino Legislative Caucus, for joining us on this week's takeout. Thanks very much, folks. Very welcome. Thanks, all. Thank thank you. Thank you. And thanks very much to you, the listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Statehouse Takeout. And keep your eyes on statehousenews.com for the very latest as we move through this final week of legislative formal sessions before the... The scheduled end on July 31st, going to be a lot of sessions, including some possible weekend sessions. And uh, kudos also to our podcast's executive producer, Chris Van Buskirk, for his late night coverage of the House sessions uh, throughout this week and throughout the police reform debate. That's all for this week. See you next time.
0: Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.